elders, for our church leaders, for all those who serve faithfully, and for a community of believers you have blessed us with as we walk and live and work together. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless us, that you forgive us our sins and draw us nearer to yourself. We lift up any among us who are suffering, who are ill, who are stretched thin and run ragged. Lord, may you ease these burdens and may you move in us through prayer and action to share that load and bring comfort to one another in Christian love. We ask that you bless our brother Ben as he teaches the word today, that you would speak through him and that the blessing of your word would bring strength and hope and a guiding light to all our lives. Heavenly Father, you have promised that where two or three have gathered in your name, that you are right here with us. Lord, I know this to be true because I see in each one of my brothers and sisters here today, I see you in them. May you continue to work in us and through us to serve one another, to serve your church, your city, and your heavenly kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son. morning. Today's scriptures come from Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, James. Thank you, Hoffa. Uh, good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Um, as you know, we're walking through a, a weird and uh, uncharted season without a lead pastor. And um, we also still believe that it's a good season and one that the Lord has given us graciously and wants us to be in. And so Ecclesiastes tells us that there's a time and a season for every activity under heaven. And um, while it is always an appropriate time to pray and to fast, our elders uh, want to encourage the body to be in a, a dedicated season of prayer and fasting. Buster preached last week and gently urged us towards uh, the reasonableness and the freedom from anxiety that Paul writes about in Philippians 4. Um, and we thank you uh, that you are a praying people. And uh, I, I speak for myself. I, I think I speak for all the elders. We appreciate the grace that you've been showing us. And uh, I feel strengthened by your prayers. So I, I, I'm encouraged. And thank you for that. Um, but we want to ask you uh, also to consider... Uh, joining fasting with your your prayer life um, and uh, today is a sermon on fasting exclusively um, 
fasting may be something that you're not very familiar with. It might be something that you've never uh, really experienced. I'm challenged to remember the last sermon that I heard on fasting. Uh, I'm extremely challenged to think of a song about fasting. Um, the Bible says a lot about prayer, and Buster and I, you know, talking about planning sermons, it's, it's sort of hard to know where to start, you know, if you want to preach on prayer, what text, there's so many. There's not a whole lot uh, to preach from on fasting, comparatively. Um, many of you uh, may feel like this is a weird subject because uh, most of us have never known hunger. Uh, we live in a, an age where there is an abundance of food and a celebration of food. Um, and some of you may be familiar with fasting for other purposes, not spiritual ones, like uh, you know, just to improve your metabolism or sharpen your mind or uh, overcome some digestive ailment. But um, we're not talking about that today. No, there's nothing wrong with fasting for those reasons, but we're talking here for a spiritual purpose about uh, drawing near to the Lord and seeking his will through our prayers with fasting. So what is fasting? Um, I'm defining it for you today as, as a voluntary, so you're choosing to purposefully deprive yourself of food or drink or both food and drink for a specific period of time for the purpose of seeking God, repenting from sin, petitioning him for his help, and discerning his will through your prayer and meditation on his word. If for your own personal medical reasons you cannot fast, uh, please don't just tune this out and say this is not a word for me. Um, you can possibly safely eliminate something from your diet, if not everything. Maybe it needs to be caffeine, or maybe there's uh, something non-essential in your life that's not food, certainly entertainment, social media, um, some, some habit or usual self-indulgence that you might enjoy. Um, whatever it is that you would miss and feel it if it was not there in your life that would create additional margin in your day for prayer. The, the cool thing about fasting is you can't say, I don't have time to fast, because you don't say you don't have time to eat, right? Um, we all make time to eat, so this is a, a substitute um, discipline to put in that place. When Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Papa just read our text from Matthew 6, he taught about fasting. And in the New Testament, neither Jesus nor the apostles command fasting or set specific times or days for fasting, subject matters for, for your prayers when you're fasting, yet Jesus spoke of fasting to his audience with this presumption that these Jews would fast, that they were already fasting. In Matthew 6, 16, it says, and when you fast, not and if you fast, but when you fast. Sometimes specific circumstances, scripture shows us, beg for our fasting. In the Old Testament, we have examples of Israel fasting when there was suffering and intense supplication for God's intervention. So last summer when we preached through the book of Esther, you'll recall that Esther asked Mordecai to call all the Jews to fast before she would stick her neck out there for them with the king. Or in Matthew 17, 21, and this is a verse that's not included in every translation, but Jesus explained to the disciples when they said, why couldn't we cast out that demon? He said, because that kind can only be uh, cast out with, with prayer and fasting. Um, 
So an extreme situation. At other times, Israel's was, Israel was called uh, as an act of repentance to fast and to, to generally turn away from their sin, like you would read about in Joel 1 and 2, or more specifically to turn away from uh, neglecting mercy and justice. We see that in Isaiah 58. So I'm sorry to say that the Bible does not tell us specifically how to select a new pastor. That has grieved me deeply <laughs> uh, as we've tried to wrestle through uh, some questions that have arisen. But I do notice that in the book of Acts, we have a precedent for fasting about decisions of eldership. In Acts 14.23, <clears throat> when Paul and Barnabas had appointed elders for the new disciples that they were making in every church, it says, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. And I want us to do that, church. That's what I'm encouraging you specifically to do today is to commit this process of identifying a lead pastor to prayer and fasting. Um, so we think it's right that we do this. Our consideration of fasting begs some basic questions. And as I was studying the scripture about what it teaches about fasting, the two primary questions that sort of rose out from the text to me uh, were why should we fast and how should we fast? And so I want to answer both of those questions this morning, and we'll start with why. Why should we fast? There are two closely related reasons that I think answer that question, and the first is that fasting exposes our heart, and with our heart, our sin. Fasting is not a super popular discipline, it seems, uh, probably for obvious reasons. It's um, It's... I think true of all of us, certainly true of me, that we have an emotional relationship with food, um, and my status of the relationship is it's complicated. Some of us eat to live, and some of us live to eat, and I'm usually in that second category. Um, food is a part of God's creation, and it's good. It's part of what God pronounced as good in Genesis, and we should receive it with thanksgiving, 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says this, and therefore there's nothing shameful about enjoying good foods of all kinds. But food, which was the substance of the first temptation in the Bible, and many other temptations, like any good gift from God, can easily become an idol for our heart. And so hunger can lead us to sin foolishly. Think about Esau exchanging his birthright for stew. Perhaps you eat food to soothe and to comfort rather than to nourish your body. Again, this is me talking about me. Read yourself into this sermon only if your conscience is speaking. But many times when I'm feeling sad or angry or ashamed or anxious, I just impulsively self-medicate with food to my mouth as though that could ever satisfy the emptiness in my heart. I can't. Cheetos, guys. What are Cheetos for? but for making you feel good just for a second, right? No other purpose. They commiserate with your feelings in your belly. So God, please forgive us that we would eat mindlessly and impulsively, emotionally. We sometimes don't know even what we're doing. If that kind of eating or drinking is a temptation for you, fasting will no doubt expose it because you will not have your usual go-to medicine of food or drink. You have to find some other way to cope. Maybe you are not tempted to eat excessively or poorly, but you are still tempted to eat in some other unworthy way. 
for example, without returning thanks to God and giving him glory, to eat without sharing for regard of the needs of others, to, to not consider that others don't have what you have, or to eat with false pride in your own ability that you are able to take care of yourself and your family. Maybe when it comes to food, you are self-disciplined and you are grateful and you are humble and you are generous, and that's awesome. I commend you if that's you, but how do you do when your hunger in your stomach goes unsatisfied? Have you ever heard of hanger? <laughs> Does your ordinarily gracious temperament give way to a short fuse when you're missing that meal that you expected or when you have gone without your coffee for a whole day or a whole week? <clears throat> there are reasons that we shouldn't have difficult conversations or make big decisions when we're tired or hungry. Like Jesus said of his disciples in the garden, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Richard Foster rightly observes that fasting more than any other spiritual discipline reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. And so I confess to you that fasting reveals to me my anger and impatience, my sinful posture of demanding that God would give me something rather than just submitting to his will. It reveals to me my anxiousness about the future, which I've confessed to you before, or my inclination to hide away in distractions instead of in a prayer closet. And so I bring all these things to light to confess my own sin to you, but not to shame us, but to urge us to be honest together before the Lord through fasting. How we relate to food and drink and how we respond to hunger will almost always reveal something about our heart. As the discipline of fasting exposes our hearts, we can be humbled by our need, not only for God's provision of food, but also for our perpetual need for his grace, forgiveness, and restored fellowship with him. Fasting reorients us to God. It shocks the system. <clears throat> tells us that he is the giver of life. He is the provider of all of our physical and spiritual needs and that without him we are nothing. Disruption to our daily meal rhythm and feeling physical hunger pain reveals not only our human weakness but also heightens our sense of need for God's grace. So we can say, thank you, God, for my dependence. Thank you for my need. It might seem strange to some of us that God would will us to experience a degree of suffering this way. But suffering and learning to suffer well is exactly the place that the Lord wants us to be. He wants us broken. He wants us needy. He wants us dependent. He wants us expectant. Suffering also makes us more like Jesus in that it increases our compassion towards others who are suffering in various ways. So God does not waste a minute of this suffering. Suffering produces steadfastness. John Newton, the writer of the famous hymn Amazing Grace, wrote these lyrics in a much lesser known hymn that you may have never heard before. It's called I Asked the Lord. Um, this was a, a song I heard uh, probably... 15 years ago, um, and have never heard sung in church, but I think it's, it's pretty powerful, and so I want to read the lyrics to you and then add some commentary as we go through. He writes, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith, in love, in every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. That sounds like a pretty reasonable prayer. God, 
I want to grow in grace. I want to grow in faith. I want to know you more. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he would answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sin and give me rest. But it didn't happen that way. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evil of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yes, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, cast out my feelings, laid me low. So instead of immediately experiencing this knowledge of God's grace and presence and power and assurance, he says that the Lord contradicted his plans, wounded him, humbled him. And that's the question we should next ask is why would God, why would God do that? And he answers that in the next verse. He says, Lord, why is this? I trembling cried, will you pursue your worm to death? It's in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joy that you would seek your all in me. So sometimes you may not, have, you may not know this, but, but this is how God answers our, our prayers to grow. Um, he puts us through testing and through trial. He exposes our sin to us and humbles us so that we would truly know how much we need him. If you haven't wrestled with the mystery that God's power is perfected in your weakness, I pray that God would teach you this. Or if you've wrestled before, I pray that he would teach you anew, that the Lord grows us and makes us like himself through difficulty and deprivation. He breaks our self-dependence. He breaks our pride. So I pray that God would give us the courage to pray such a dangerous prayer, that God would give us growth this way. Second, fasting makes us more aware of God's presence. These things are so closely related, right? It makes us not only aware of our hearts and our sin, but it makes us so much more aware of God's presence. I've learned that there is a relationship when fasting between the emptiness in my stomach and my sensitivity to God's testimony about himself, all right? When I'm hungry while fasting, it is so much easier for me to genuinely and sincerely pray something like this, Psalm 16, 1. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. Or Psalm 73, 28. As for me, it is good to be near to God. Psalm 130, 5 through 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Psalm 63, 1 through 3. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. He is, this, this psalm, these psalms are so rich and full, but so hard to pray on a full belly, <laughs> guys. Um, when you're content and you feel like everything is 
under your control. You don't talk like this to the Lord. But when you realize that you, you don't have it under control and you need him desperately and your stomach is growling, it comes out differently. Wayne Grudem notes that among other effects of fasting, it heightens our awareness of and sensitivity to God and expresses earnestness and urgency in our prayer. I think what he means when he says it expresses earnestness, it's like like pressing, expressing, like toothpaste out of a tube, it's coming out. Um, that, that sort of pressure mounts in us and motivates and drives our prayers and makes them stronger, more sincerely felt. Our Lord Jesus knew that fasting would lead his disciples nearer to him in his physical absence. In Matthew 9, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, uh, verses 14 and 15, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and they were saying, why do the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And some people even went further than that. Uh, some of Jesus' critics were saying, this guy just eats and drinks all day. Um, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And so Jesus answers John's disciples this way. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. All right. The bridegroom has been taken from us, and so it's time to fast. But in this moment where Jesus is present with the disciples, it makes no sense for them to fast. It would be absurd. And he uses the, the illustration of a wedding celebration. And I tried to think of somebody who's not enjoying themselves. And I thought of the Bernie meme from back at the inauguration with the trench coat and the mittens and just stern grouchiness right and just imagine that in the middle of a wedding and there's dancing and partying all around there's right why what get up have fun enjoy the wedding it's time for a wedding um that that would be uh an illustration of what it would look like for us in jesus's time in jesus's presence to fast it makes no sense but but when jesus is absent it's appropriate to fast and to wait for his return and to long for his coming back. There won't be any fasting in heaven, guys. Just here. But while we're here, while we're aching, while we're asking, while we're waiting and longing for Jesus to come back, we fast. So these are the reasons that we fast. To expose our need and to draw nearer to God than we were. Now that we understand why fasting is so beneficial, I want to make sure that we do fasting in a way that honors Jesus. And so I want to answer the question, how should we fast? And the first point I want to make is not to be noticed by others. It was in the text that, that Hopper read for us this morning. Jesus says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting would be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I suppose that the temptation to boast and to covet honor from others has always been with us. But I sense that social media has amplified that. Um, to a new level of performative righteousness. And so we make sure that we ensure everybody knows if they haven't muted us or blocked us or canceled us, 
that we're generous, that we're tolerant, we're open-minded, we're wise, we're smart, we're successful, we're accomplished, we're good-looking, at least sometimes, attractive, happy, when we're on vacation, everything's good. And so we have this, this mindset that people need to know um, that's just starting to be ingrained in us. And um, humbly, I just want to tell you, people don't have to know. They don't have to, okay? Um, one of the ancient predecessors of, I guess, bragging online would have been this individual fasting gloomily. Jesus is describing it for us in Matthew 6. And while there were prescribed times of corporate mourning and fasting where everybody was participating, he's, he's talking about something that an individual undertakes for himself to draw attention to himself, specifically through physical disfigurement. So somebody sees you looking rough, and they're like, what's wrong with you, man? And you're like, oh, thank you for noticing. I'm fasting today, right? And so Jesus, who sees and knows the heart, describes this fasting as hypocrisy. It's a false appearance of righteousness and virtue, but there's no true religion there. And so Jesus says quiet, personal discipline of fasting is the way that honors him. The Bible reveals to us that Jesus even modeled private fasting. When you look at Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it doesn't say this specifically, but it is likely that nobody was noticing Jesus out there other than the Father and his enemy. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, which was full of countercultural instructions, right? Jesus is encouraging his followers to fast and give and pray quietly even secretly, without drawing attention to themselves and what they are doing. He is encouraging them that it is enough that God the Father sees. God the Father knows. Just as we heard repeatedly as we studied the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we heard it again and again, each letter, Jesus is saying, I know your works, or I know, I know. That's a, that's a sobering word to hear from Jesus, but it's also a comforting word. He knows, guys. You should be asking yourself, is that enough for me just to be known and loved by God? We sing it all the time. Our songs are full of Christ is enough for me. But do you believe it right now? And can you believe it while you're fasting and suffering quietly? Because Jesus is enough for us, he is the one that we aim to please and not men. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel's looking for a king to replace Saul, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God so cares about us that we hear this, that he says through the prophet Joel, I don't want you to rip your garments when you mourn. I want you to rend or rip your heart. Joel 2.13. The Bible is so clear. God does not care about our external demonstration of lament or mourning if our hearts are absent and cold and unrepentant. He most desires inward brokenness. Psalm 51.17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. So believer, when you fast, God is going to give you himself as the reward 
And that's enough. That's assuring to me. That makes me want to fast. After hearing this word from Matthew 6, you might be asking yourself, is it wrong for me to tell somebody that I'm fasting? And I say, no, it's not if it's necessary. If you're expected at a meal, then someone, someone's probably going to need to know why you're not there, why you're not partaking, uh, why you've declined their invitation. If you are desiring to fast in community because you know that you're weak and you need accountability, you need encouragement, you need people praying for you, then fast in community, please. Think about how you could fast as a family unit or as your whole GC or your DNA group or with coworkers, somebody who is with you regularly. Think about how regularly you want to fast. Do you want to fast weekly? Do you want to fast daily for certain periods of time? to see God bear fruit through that. I hope that our church will learn to fast even beyond this season. I don't want you to fast just for now. I want you to fast as a regular discipline of your heart. But generally when we fast, let's heed Jesus' Jesus' voice and treat this fasting as something that's sacred between ourselves and him, not for the notice of anyone else. Secondly, in answer to the question of how we should fast, I encourage you to fast with the word as your food. I think this is much more important. If you haven't heard anything I've said, please, please tune in. When Jesus modeled fasting, we already looked at Matthew 4. You probably know this. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. I bet, right? 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He could have done it. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not to belabor the text, but Satan tempts him in other ways, and he keeps coming back with the word. Thank you, Jesus. As you know, or can imagine, fasting for that length of period will make you feel weak. And this weakness is positive in that it humbles you to seek God, but it is potentially negative because it heightens your temptation and spiritual attack from Satan. Satan sought to tempt Jesus while and because he was hungry. Jesus was a man. He's in the desert. He experiences the heat. He sweats. He's weary. He's not tapping into some miraculous carbohydrate, right? There's no manna out there. He's suffering. The Gospels talk about the angels ministering to him, but that was after he endured the temptation. Jesus was suffering real hunger through his fast, just like we will. And Jesus, also in his humanity, had to discipline himself to learn the scripture. Have you ever thought of that? The Bible says that Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. We don't get a lot of Jesus' childhood and adolescence, but when we see him, he's trying to learn. He's discussing the Torah in the temple. His parents are looking for him. He says, I've got to be here. This is where I belong. Jesus had to learn. He had to grow in knowledge and wisdom as a man. His disciples were confused 
by his ways. In John chapter 4, you see him walking through Samaria. They're hungry. They think he needs to eat. They're encouraging him to eat. He says, I've got food that you don't know about. We need some of that food, guys. Each time Jesus was tempted, Jesus was eating his father's promises purposefully hidden in his heart to refute Satan's lies. And by the Holy Spirit's help, we can do this too, church. Fasting is not an exercise in asceticism, proving your self-discipline, your strength, how long can you go without eating or drinking. Instead, it is an exercise in seeing God prove his faithfulness, his power, his goodness to meet all of your needs in your dependence upon him as you are praying and communing and petitioning. So when you fast, lean heavily on God's promises and truth that are revealed to you in the scripture. I want to give you some specific things that you might want to pray about in this season as we're encouraging you to fast and pray. As we are without a lead pastor, I pray and I encourage you to pray for unity and patience in our church body. We don't know how long this is going to last. And so we ask that, that God would sustain us, that we wouldn't be tempted. Pray for agreement in our body about what is good. Pray for reasonableness, like Buster preached last week, and understanding. Pray for each other. Pray for your anxieties and fears and concerns and needs. Pray for one another to, to be sanctified, to grow through this season. Pray for humility and steadfastness for your elders, that we would not get weary and that we would not be proud. Pray for the man that God would have to lead us all, for the Holy Spirit's ministry to him and leadership of him right now. Assuming he has a family, the same things for his family. What a testimony it would be to God when we meet our next lead pastor and to hear him testify that he was reaping the fruit of our fasting and our prayers right now. Man, that would be so powerful. What a testimony to God's goodness. Pray that that would be true. Pray for conviction of sin. We are not sinless, church. We have, we have boogers in our nose that need picked, all right? Um, we, need, we need exposure in this season of fasting. So pray that God uh, would reveal to us where we need to change and grow and repent. Pray that God would make us teachable malleable perhaps fasting and everything that i've mentioned today seems daunting to you you know your weakness you know you're not self-disciplined you know you're not very self-controlled you're not good at memorizing scripture you're not this you're not that um i want to encourage you um that's okay um, i'm going to invite the worship team back up as we as we think about the table. Um, the reason that that's okay, uh, that you're not disciplined, that you're not self-controlled, that you're weak, is that Jesus already has satisfied the Father on your behalf. We often hear that Jesus died for our sins, but we have to remember that Jesus also lived for us. His life was what made him an acceptable unblemished sacrifice for sin. Jesus' life described to us in the Gospels demonstrate that he kept all the Father's commands. 
including any expectation of God on us that we should fast or pray. It's tempting to respond to a word on fasting with pride on the one hand or despondency, which I was just describing on the other hand. If you're a self-disciplined person, you're capable or you feel capable, you might be congratulating yourself. You might be thinking, I'm already fasting. I'm good at this. Or I wonder how long I can go this time. Uh, but if you're not, you might be telling yourself, you just got to get your act together. You got to try harder. This was not intended to be a challenge sermon. Um, if you've heard a challenge, then I've failed. <laughs> My daughter asked me yesterday, are you going to challenge everybody? No, baby, I'm not going to challenge anybody. I don't want to challenge anybody to another level of performance. I want to invite them into uh, knowing Jesus better. I want to invite them to their knees. In heaven, none of us are going to be there because we fasted or prayed well enough. We'll be there because Jesus fasted and prayed for us perfectly. Our Lord was led into the wilderness and tempted and tried, just as we read, for 40 days and 40 nights. And he endured and triumphed over temptation that we would have failed. By the Spirit's help, he resisted the enemy that we would have embraced. And on the night that he was betrayed, his closest friends couldn't even stay awake with him to pray, even though he asked them repeatedly. We would have done the same thing. We would have fallen asleep in our weakness. But Jesus prayed himself alone into Roman custody. And after suffering for us, paying for our treason, he earned us the right to fast and pray with confidence that we would encounter God's presence when we pray, that we would have communion with him, that it would be real. To Jesus be the glory for his obedience and his righteousness credited to us. So if you're a believer in Jesus and you have confessed him as your Lord, you are living a life in submission to him. You are invited to partake of the meal. If you're a visitor, we probably do a bad job of this, but we have communion cups in the back and on the side of the room. I would invite you to join us as we observe the Lord's Supper. Scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was eating with his disciples. And he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Take and eat. And he also took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them drank of it and he said to them this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many take and drink thank you Jesus let's pray Jesus we cherish this moment to feast with you we long for the day that we feast with you forever We'll take this for now. Thank you for your faithful life, your death and resurrection, the great gift of salvation. We acknowledge you. We also acknowledge that we need you more than we even know. We confess that we often live selfishly, 
We confess that our prayers are weak, irregular, impassionate. Lord, forgive us. We ask your forgiveness and cleansing from our our prayerlessness. We want to draw nearer. We want to be led and fed from your hand, Lord Jesus. So please grant us faith and desire to pursue the discipline of fasting. Teach us to fast, Lord. Teach us to pray with fasting. Not to prove ourselves worthy, but to know you more intimately and to discern your will to seek what's best and good for our church. Thank you again for the encouragement and the hope that we find in your word. Please hide it in our hearts that we would have strength tomorrow or the next day when we need it. Pray these things in your precious and holy name, Jesus.